This episode of Badasses in Tech is brought to you by Magic Mind, the productivity drink designed to boost your energy, memory, and focus. I'm your host, Summer Falgiano, and you're tuned in to Badasses in Tech. Today, we're joined by award-winning animation director, producer, and filmmaker, Amber Hollinger. Amber has worked with top studios, including Disney, Warner Brothers, Universal, and has an upcoming project with Netflix. In this episode, we talk to Amber about how she got her start and the importance of not waiting for others to open a window of opportunity. This is one of the most exciting conversations that we've been able to schedule. Me personally, I have been a longtime fan of animated shows and animated films, especially thinking about some of those on your roster like Hey Arnold, Recess, most recently Housebroken. It's truly an honor to have you on today. That's so kind. Thank you. Deep dive back to old school Hey Arnold and Recess. (laughs) Hello, I grew up on those, so you got <laughs> got to bring those back. So, Amber, do you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and, and how you got started here? Sure. Um, I am currently a television animation director, and newest role is an unannounced miniseries for Netflix where I'm the supervising director. Really excited about that. Can't talk about it yet because we're not announced. <laughs> But um, I grew up in a small town and the only thing that I was naturally good at was drawing. And I got into animation because I was able to marry my two passions, drawing and filmmaking. So I'm one of those people that knew when I was quite small that I wanted to do this for a living forever. I didn't know how, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So I, I kind of fell into it at a very young age. I had no experience. I am pretty much self-taught. I had about a half a year of school and then dropped out and got my first professional job in animation at 18. And I just worked from the ground up. I think it was really crucial part of what I feel is my success as as I grew as an artist was paying attention to everyone else's job around me, learning as much as I could because without formal education, how was I going to get that skill set? So whatever anyone would teach me, working extra hours, skill building on the side, practicing and honing, you have to have like a real passion for this line of work. It is not for sissies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can only imagine. Do, do you mind kind of digging into some of maybe the uh, the challenges or for those who might be entertaining a, a job in this line of work, maybe some of those uh, some of those watch outs or things that they might want to consider to really uh, get, dig into something like this? Well, I think to work in entertainment in general, whether it's live action or animation, you have to have a particular personality for it. To, you have to have a certain wiring. It is not, it can be glamorous. I have not lied. I've been on the red carpet and it's great. Mm-hmm. However, that's really, really hard earned. And that only comes after tireless days of putting your heart and soul into something. It is not a nine to five job. It's uh, much like an actor. You go out, you have to audition and you get rejected and you have to do that over and over again. You're applying for jobs and you're just trying to sell yourself and jobs in entertainment are cyclical. So you don't have consistent work. You can work on a project for two months, 
get laid off, have to find another job, maybe work for three months, get laid off, have to find another job. It's rare that you can stay at a studio for a long period of time. So you have to be prepared of, you don't really have job security. It's all about the hustle and you're only as good as the last thing that you've done and building a good reputation for yourself. So those are some of the things to watch out for. If you are a person that uh, is in it for the fame and glory, probably not the right reason to get in it. If you are a person who is looking for a normal life, meaning you claw, you go in nine to five and go home, this also not for you. I, on average, work anywhere from 12 to 15 hours a day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I love it. It's brutal, right. but there's no, there's no mistaking the work that you put in is, is massive. And there is always competition. Competition is fierce, especially right now. So having going in just fully aware of these things and being self-aware of what kind of person you are, I like young people to set them or all people to set themselves up for success. Don't put yourself in a place where you're going to fail. Really assess who you are and play to those strengths. Yeah. And I could imagine, you know, throughout your career, it sounds like the drive is necessary and really not having that, uh, that consistency, like a nine to five, I'm sure there's tons of times where it's a bit discouraging. So could you talk a little bit about how you kind of maintain that like mental, uh, determination? Well, I mean, (laughs) I think artists are very fragile creatures in general. I mean, it's everything we do is so personal it it must feel I I usually equate it to an actor because it's hard to tell an actor when they audition and don't get the part that it's not personal they have rejected you and your performance and what you gave to them and same thing for an artist you're putting a little piece of your soul out there for the world to judge and see and react against and if that's not received well it feels like you question your your talent, you question your, your sense of worth or if you are good enough to do this job, even if it's just one rejection, you might be like, even at this point in my career, I won't get a job like or, or a job will end. And I'm like, I'm never gonna work again. Never gonna find another job. This is it for me. This is how I go out. I'm just never gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, it's really mentally, uh, it's tough. But having having an undying love, like I have only grown in my love and passion for this work. It has never wavered from the time that I started. I absolutely love it. So I think having an intense love and drive to not give up. um, I think that there's also that small caveat, and I usually give this to younger people, is that if you are shoehorning yourself into something, that isn't working, please be kind to yourself and give yourself the permission to fail at one thing so that you can succeed at another. If you gave this a shot and figured, you know, this might not be for me, it is okay to change gears. This isn't for everybody. But but if you're going to stay in it, you can't give up. You have to have a great attitude and just keep pushing. Yeah, that kindness is so important. And I think for people in any industry. I mean, in my line of work, there's lots of writing and a lot of, you know, how does this resonate? Lots of people kind of checking it out. And there is some time where, oh my gosh, if they don't like it, then I can't help but take it personally. You know, it's, it's, so for you, it's, it's the layer of 
the work that's being critiqued or judged or accepted. And also, you know, you can't help but attach your own personality to it. So, or you're, especially what you're saying, you know, you're in this art, you're putting a little piece of yourself. So I'd love to hear a little bit. I personally don't know too much about the creative process. And I find it fascinating that, you know, you, you dropped out and, and pursued this passion. So what was that very first maybe pitch like, or that very first acceptance like? Like how, can you tell me a little bit more about how that process went? <laughs> how you broke in? Oh, I, I had in maybe an unorthodox way of, of getting my foot in the door. And it really just came from ignorance and lack of experience. I came from a very small town where I didn't have a computer growing up and I I didn't have um, the kind of resources for knowing anything about the industry. Didn't have any business savvy. So at, I had just turned 18 and I did not have the money to go to school. And I was working three jobs on the side. And I knew the names of five different animation studios in the LA area. And I had this big giant portfolio and I literally went to the door and knocked on the door, just hoofed it around town every month, knocking on the same doors. And it did that for about five months, knocking on the same five doors at the end of every month. And the fifth month at the fifth studio, which is at the time was film Roman. That's the house that did the Simpsons. I didn't work on the Simpsons. But I had talked to the same producer there for the fifth time. And this time he took me into his office and he sat me down (laughs) and he looked at me and said, little girl, I don't know what you're doing here. You keep coming back here month after month. You don't have any experience. You have nothing to offer me. So I don't know what you want me to do. And I looked at him and said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to hire me. You're going to hire me and you're going to pay me one third of the lowest paid person's salary at this company. And that includes the janitor for three months. And if after three months, I'm not as good or better than everybody here, you can fire me. But if I am, you're going to hire me and pay me just as much as everybody else. And then I just stuck out my hand across the desk and waited for him to take it. And he did take it. And he did make me work at one third of the janitor salary for three months. And then he did hire me and pay me full time. That's amazing. I, I mean, that is so inspirational. Not only were you consistent and determined, you were brave. You were brave enough to go in and go in with an idea. You didn't wait for him to say, oh, you know, this is what I can offer. No, you said, here's what you're going to offer me. And you worked your ass off to sit where you're sitting right now. I got lucky with that. I, I was merely reacting to the way that he spoke to me. And I have felt that as a woman throughout many years in the entertainment business, there was just, he could have delivered that. Now I never say who this person was, but he could have delivered that message in a way that I would have, gotten gotten it but he didn't have to be condescending to me you know he absolutely could have communicated to me in a way but there was a reason that he had that that edge or whatever it was that that I didn't like it and so my so maybe it was a good thing my hot trigger reaction was to just 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 push back yeah just to push back and and fight so that has helped me 
a lot yeah. in my career. I, I've ran into situations like that as a woman as well in, in job interviews. You know, they're kind of looking at you, you know, what do you have? There's thousands of people applying for this job. Like, what do you have that's different from all these people? And I mean, for me, I'm relatively young in the tech world, you know, middle-aged people, men who have seen uh, tons of, of, of success. And so it's intimidating. And th- it's almost like you have two choices in that moment. You can uh, bend the knee and, you know, say, oh, yeah, you're right. Or exactly like what you did. And I even feel those moments, too, where it's like, you know what? You're asking what's different about me? Well, let me tell you. And to this day, there's been, you know, certain conversations where that interview has kind of made its rounds across other people that I have networks in. And they're like, oh, yeah, I heard about you. So I think that's that's an amazing kind of tip, especially for women, especially for for us who we kind of have to prove ourselves a little bit. It's it's sad. In my career span, I have seen such tremendous progress. I have gone to being like the only female storyboard artist on a crew to now having like across the board, very equalized 50-50 crews to this point. I had to fight to have my voice heard for so long, even though I must give credit to, I've had amazing, amazing male mentors throughout my career who opened doors for me after I had proved myself that had enough faith in me that put themselves out to get me ahead. I, those people, I am forever indebted to them. So I've never, female empowerment does not mean discrediting the the male presence in any way, shape or form. I think that there's a, a very balanced place for everybody to play into their strengths. So I'm always careful about that. I have three children and two of those are young men and I'm never going to be a male bashing person. We need that male presence as much as we need that female presence. It's really just about respect and inclusion. I still, when I go in, I will not put myself out for a job that I am not qualified for. I'm there because I think I can do that job. If I can't do that job and I'm not qualified, you shouldn't hire me. I mean, listen, that that producer was right. I, I was 18 and I had no experience. If he had more qualified candidates, he probably should have hired them so that he was able, even in his condescending manner, he still did give me that chance to prove myself. And then I, it was up to me to make the most of that opportunity. I wasn't going to waste it once I got in there. Well, and that's key. It's like you got that golden ticket and you you did everything you could to to run with it and i think what you're what you're talking about you know room for everyone at the table that that's so important it's really not one over the other it's we're we're all here we all have passions and skills and if we work well enough together all of us together can reach even higher dreams than we ever thought possible just on our own individual basis so and it sounds like you know there's so I again I only consume entertainment and I I see at the end of of all of the shows and films thousands of names in the credits right so it it truly is a team it's teamwork makes the dream work yeah, makes do the it film in a vacuum I think it's another um, another great motivation when you're on a crew to take the time to get to know other people 
and what their jobs are. How do their efforts contribute to the final production? What is their role in it? When you're in a crew, it becomes a family. And if you get a little bit too self-important, like your job is more important than another job, if you actually got to know the people and the jobs that they're doing, having that understanding of what they do and how it fits in, not only do you appreciate their role, but then when it comes time to troubleshoot, if you understand what they do, you can help service their needs. You can help the same way that they should be doing that for you and understand where your, your um, struggles are in the production and when you hit roadblocks. So I think that's really very invaluable. I think this may be more not to be stereotypical, but maybe more of a female trait to be empathic like that, to have a, a more um, one a feeling of connection to your crew and an understanding of how all these things work together. But I think it's a good piece of advice for anybody going in. Yeah, it's almost like you're putting the puzzle together. It, you know, if you get too focused on your specific role or Sometimes if you are focused too much on a small group of people that you think, oh, they'll, they'll move the needle for me. So I want to just kind of really get to know this group and, and who cares about the others that that's detrimental. So I think it's, it's a perfect piece of, of advice for everybody. I mean, relating to work, relating to family, relating to society, like the more that you can really understand and have empathy and try to put yourself in other people's shoes, who, who knows how, how far everyone can, can go. So I, I think that is invaluable for sure. Piece of, piece of advice. Um, thinking about some of the, the content that you have been creating, you mentioned that you're a mom. Um, you have a lot of your animations that are geared towards children and also your, it seems like a little bit more recently, some adult, uh, adult animations. So I'm, I'd love to hear a little bit about your evolution there and if there is a difference in the one audience versus the other. Oh, sure. I mean, any, any production that you're on, you go in, you get to know the story and the studio has an idea of who the target audience is. There's always going to be an age demo for the content that you're creating. So much of the big money-making films are four quadrant properties, which is just family viewing. It's something that gives like a, a Pixar movie is usually the best example of a film that has a little something for everyone, adults, children, grandparents, everybody can sit down and enjoy this film together. Those are the things that you see over the summer blockbusters that just kill it. They're just slaying it, murdering it because everybody can go see it. Um, but there's room for everything. And it's really just getting opportunities to work on different things. As a brand, when you're trying to build your brand in yourself, you're only, you're supposed to have like a specialty. And I do believe that. However, I love and have made an effort to dip my toe in many pools in features like in long format, in short film format, in script driven, in board driven, in 2D, in 3D, in preschool, in mid school, in adult, wow. in four quadrant. Like I just want to drama, comedy, action. I just... I want it all. As a filmmaker, I just want to tell good stories. So for me, animation for the longest time, at least in America, has been something that is considered towards a younger audience. And I think that, I think the pandemic really helped legitimize animation as 
a force in an industry, it was a little bit of an equalizer. Mm. People started realizing the value of, of animation as, as an art form for older audiences. Yeah. So getting the opportunity to tell more adult stories through animation has been super fun. Like who doesn't want to, I mean, sure. I love telling gentle preschool shows with a positive messaging. And then I want to cuss and impale people through the neck, you know, like yeah. <laughs> I have, have the best of both worlds. Yeah. I mean, people in general, I think are not unifaceted. They are multifaceted. So if you've got all these different sides of yourself, it right. only uh, would make sense that you would want to create content that's more reflective of the world around you or the thoughts going on in your head. Totally. Well, and do you think that you mentioned the pandemic, maybe having, uh, maybe opening the world's eyes up a little bit more to animation. For me, I see a lot more animation through like social media, like brands putting all of their quick facts and, and making it into like a, a fun animated video. What do you think social media's impact and technology's impact has been on maybe this, uh, this influence of animation, animation's growth or success? Technology has been irreplaceable in the forward progression of animation. Like it's, it's just a game changer. And to, you know, to politely date myself, I started out pencil and paper and pinning drawings up at the wall when I was doing Disney features, pinning drawings up on the wall and pitching them to now I can create like a two boom storyboard pro and changed my life for what I do. I can build an entire movie in this one program that's meant for movie making. Like it's meant I can build in preliminary sound design and I can time it and edit it. I can create scene transitions. I can draw on it. I, it's just you can uh, create 3D work in it and 2D work in it. It's just been absolutely amazing. It's um, then you're talking about the progression for, for 3D and CGI and you've got Maya and Blender and Lightwave 3D and oh my goodness, um, Cinema 4D. There's just like all these amazing programs that allow you to apply texture mapping like on a fabric so wow. that you were like and you know think about Disney and the Nine Old Men and painting you know a stripe on something and then having to animate that by hand in every frame and how it moves and now there's technology where you can put a texture mapping code on a material and just yeah. have it like it's so it's so beautiful being able to rig a character so that it just stays on model and moving it and then motion capture so that you can get authentic human um, motion to a character that you yeah. couldn't otherwise. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable, not to mention with the pandemic that everything operates remotely. So, right. you know, you've got um, shot grid and FTP sites and Zoom, uh, Zoom meetings and Google Meets and everything. Right. The last three productions that I've been on, I've launched entirely from home. Oh, that's amazing. I've not met anyone in person on my last three cruise. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's probably the world that we're going towards. It's probably going to stay, stay this way for uh, a while. So that's interesting. The, 
What you're describing, I mean, I saw it very much so in Stillwater, thinking about the panda bear. When he gets wet, you can see like the almost like the water droplets in his fur and like he moves and everything. So is that pen and, or is that like, you know, drawn or is that somebody that's who's all, like moving? That's all rigged in 3D. Wow. And if you have a fur texture, and this is where budget comes into play. Okay. So like, let's say on a, on a production which had like Stillwater, which had a really healthy budget for a television series versus feature series. You have to think about little cheats. So the way that the Stillwater's fur was textured and mapped, it looked great when it was dry, but we had issues. Like we had to think very carefully. We had one episode when it was raining and how do we, it, the fur reacts differently when water hits it and it can look really, really strange. So we were thinking about if uh, like one episode he fell into a puddle, we just had him fall into the puddle off screen and then mm-hmm. cut to like the top of him. When characters were wearing a hat, if they're rigged in, in 3D, the, the way that they rig it and set it on the head to attach it and be able to move it is not really compatible with other structures. So if a character had a hat on, we would want to cheat that we never saw them take the hat off or put it on on screen. So a cheat would be, we see them pick up a hat in one scene and then we just cut to the next scene and they're like this, like they had just put it on, but we would never actually see them take it off because it affects the way that the hair is rigged. When you get into like a Pixar film that has more budget, then you can start really going and playing around with how how you can manipulate and show things like that. But there's all these little tiny things you have to think about in the staging, depending on what kind of software you're using and how effects then then affect your your choices. Super strange. Like eating, you'll see someone go like this, but you won't see them actually take a bite because to rig the teeth to the bite is so hard. And you might as well like, don't even mess with it. It's going to look Oh weird. my gosh. As a viewer, I mean, that makes so much sense. And yeah, you'll have to probably think about every single second moving. As the viewer, I wouldn't have, I, now I feel like I have, I you've broke the fourth wall for me. Like, I feel like now I'm going to be looking for all these little cheats, but I would have never, I would have never thought of that. But it makes so much sense because yeah, you don't, if there's only so much resource that you have, then you want to make sure that you're using that as appropriately as you possibly can. So that makes a lot of sense. But for for those who are breaking into it or trying to maybe get get started, you mentioned a ton of software and what you're describing now, like really having that uh, extreme sense of detail. What what else would you say are um, priorities or, or things that folks who are trying to enter what you're getting into? What what are some of, what's your advice for them? I'd say fundamentals, whether you are a 3D person or a 2D person, you should know your fundamentals. You should be able to draw and not just render in 3D. So staffing up like the particular particular production I'm working on right now is something that's based in, we'd like to call it fantasy realism. So basically the objects and the characters are all based on things in real life. So you have to know human anatomy, even if we're going to rig these characters in 3D, when we're drawing them out in storyboards and trying to figure out how they would move and act, well, 
you have to know how an arm is really attached. Like you have to know the skeleton, you know, the musculature mm. and the skeleton and how something moves and connects together. If you don't know that it's really, really evident and you, you wouldn't be able to work on this particular production. Uh, if you're going to draw a car, you have to understand the mechanics of the car and how it's put together. Trees and ground and how things work and perspective. Like you should have a really strong skill set going in of just the fundamentals of how to draw objects and turn them. So it's yeah. a lot of practicing in just that. Um, then playing to your strengths. I, I give the example of when I did go to my short period of time at school uh, at 17, I thought I wanted to be an animator just because I could draw. And I suck at animating. I absolutely suck at it. To this day, I still can't animate. I can draw key poses and I understand, I understand the mechanics of animation. I can't apply it myself. Like the application is terrible, so I can't execute. But I went in there with my heart set on being a Disney animator and felt like, oh my God, I'm not good at this. What am I going to do? And I happened to be drawing little boxes with stories in them. And somebody walked by and said, oh, you're a storyboard artist. And I went, hmm? What is that? Yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had no idea. Well, it turns yeah. out from the time I was five, I was on my tummy and my floor drawing little boxes with stories on them. Wow. I was a director. I was a storyboard artist. Like that's the way I was wired. I just didn't know that. So a big thing that I'm realizing now is that people coming up in the business, they're, they don't know the jobs that are out there that go into building a production. And the great thing about the time that we live in today, even if you were like me and didn't have a computer, you now have a computer at the local library. You have all the access of information that you need to look up jobs in animation. What do those jobs mean? What do they do? If you wanna be an animator, but you're great at drawing backgrounds, uh, play to your strengths. Learn, you know, keep getting better at one thing on the side. And I encourage, like, I will still learn and take classes to this day. I mean, if the minute I think that I know it all, just put me six feet under, what's the point? Like, I want to continue exactly. growing and being better all the time. But play to your strengths. As soon as I tried, stopped wanting to be an animator and played to the thing that I was good at, it was just, like, no effort at all. It was just right. that's where I was supposed to be. So giving yourself some knowledge there. But there's a lot of different jobs in animation and they're not all drawing. There's production jobs and we need the production side and the business side of things to be able to run and execute. But the production people in animation have different jobs than the production people in live action. It is a niche special market that if you're finding that maybe you don't have the skill set artistically, but you want to be part of this world, you can still be an invaluable part of this world and be surrounded by all the creativity and and just be be that cog in the in the machine. Yeah. That's awesome. It so it sounds like determination is absolutely key. Being curious, really the fundamentals, the foundational skills and also the network piece. I I think what you're saying, you know, you can have the business savviness and may, that may not mean that you can do the drawing or the animation, but there's there's room for that skill at the table or vice versa. What your story, you know, you loved the, the drawing and 
maybe you didn't figure out the animation piece, but you didn't get that. You didn't let that discourage you. You had someone say, Hey, this is, this is exactly what storyboarding is. And you're like, Oh, I've been a storyboard artist since I was five. So it's, it's really leaning on other people and not being afraid to have someone help you out. You know, it could be a, a producer, a mentor, or it could literally be somebody who happens to be walking by you in a moment in time. So that's, that's a beautiful story. And it's, you know, being open, being open to the, the opportunities. You may think that, you know, okay, I want to go this way. I want to take this route. And life may actually say, no, you, you need to go over here to find everything that you're looking for. So what, what an inspiration. And I, I, I want to leave you with just one more question. You know, we're talking a lot about um, your history and, and a little bit about how the market is today and the industry is today. What, what are we going to see in the next 10 years? What, what, are your, what are you thinking? I think about this a lot. I think that we are going to see a lot more remote operations because we've been doing it and that studios are seeing that they can save money by not having facilities like an on-ground facility run. So I see that more things will be run remotely. I think that's pretty, pretty obvious. Uh, I cannot wait to see what the technology is. I can't, I could not even imagine the need, the advancements that are made year to year yeah. in, in this industry, in, in live action and in animation. And quite frankly, there's almost, almost every live action film is now some kind of hybrid, of hybrid model that has yeah. some, some effects and if effects are considered animation. So all these things are bleeding together and now animation is kind of stealing back and taking some things from live action. I'm, I'm excited of thinking that, you know, back in the day Roger Rabbit came out and it was such a unique concept of trying to marry these two worlds together. And at the time it was so difficult, like the mechanics of setting that up and executing it. It was just so ahead of its time. Now, I don't know, maybe we're going to see more animated live action hybrids on television and in movies the way that um some people had conceived earlier yeah but i yeah i i do not i can't i could not even tell you in in terms of where this could be the sky's I the limit sky, pretty much and what about for you amber what what's in store for you this year well Things that you can tell and <laughs> 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 um, i've well, I've I've signed on to uh, for a Netflix exclusive um, for an anthology set of miniseries. It's kind of all I can say. Yeah. It is um, it is thrilling for me to be. I've worked very hard to learn not only the business side of animation, the artist side of animation, everybody's roles, and to get the opportunity to be a supervising director and world build and and create a visual language for a series is just, I mean, I, I would love to do more of those kinds of projects, which it sounds like I'm going to get to do. And I really, I just want to keep flexing my muscles and see where I can go. I'm Summer Falgiano, and this is Badasses in Tech. To learn more, check out our website at badassesintech.com and join our community to be the first to know when new episodes drop. This programming is made possible by Growth Stack Media. 
We're always looking for new guests and sponsors. So if you're interested in getting involved, email us at badassesintech@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We appreciate your support. Thanks for listening.